please be seated. As you guys may know, uh, GSCF, you know, we have people from many nations, you know, worshipping with us. Pre-COVID, I think the numbers is close to the high 20s. So we haven't really got a chance to, you know, to conduct a survey how many nationalities we have uh, post-COVID. Uh, but uh, one of the wonderful things is that we do have people whose friends or relatives travels around, and sometimes they land here in Indonesia. And in this occasion, uh, we have a friend of David Summers. Uh, his name is Claire Jewell. Uh, he's here to do some uh, teaching at a university here, a Christian university here in Jakarta. So Claire, uh, he been a pastor for, the, uh, for 20 years uh, before becoming executive director of a ministry called Every uh, Ethnic. Okay, so their purpose, as you know, uh, there may be about 500, uh, what's that, uh, you know, groupings uh, of uh, people in the U.S. And so they are there to, you know, to, to disciple, uh, you know, to, to, to train the leadership of churches so that they can reach out to those and plant churches among those uh, groups of people. Uh, I'd like to, you know, uh, ask us to give a, a, a warm uh, uh, welcome to Claire. Uh, Claire, please. Thank you. Thank you and good morning. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in the United States. And uh, as you, our fellow strugglers with us, as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to bring other people into a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that we're encouraged by you, and I hope that you're encouraged by us. So it's a great privilege to share the Word of God with you. I do not take that privilege lightly, because it is the truth. And by that truth, all people are set free. And I highly value the opportunity to challenge and encourage churches like this one to be fully engaged in the mission of God. That's what he's called us to do individually and corporately as a church to be engaged in his mission. Unfortunately, it's sobering to see how many churches become inward focused. If you look at the screen, I'll show you some statistics from my country back in the United States. Over 4,000 churches are closing every single year. We have more lost people in the United States than any country in the world except for China and India. Young people are leaving our church in droves. There are 521 people groups now living in the United States. It is a wide open mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same is true here in Jakarta. If you look at some of the stats here, you can see that there are people from diverse religions, people that need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are people 
from diverse backgrounds. There are people that have various uh, unique qualities about them that make them perhaps different than you, and yet we have the opportunity to cross over and reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things I was interested to note when I looked at some of the data, if we can go to the next slide, is that over 50% of the population of this city is 30 years old or younger. And so there's a great opportunity to reach a new generation with the gospel. So we have this opportunity to reach people different than us, to get out of our comfort zone and make a difference among other people. Here's the problem. I don't know about you, but I like to stay in my comfort zone. That's where I like to be. I like to hang out with people who believe what I believe, who value the things that I value. That's who I want to hang out with. I want to be with who I want to be when I want to be with them. That would be my choice. How many of you would agree with me? You like to stay in your comfort zone. I have to make a conscious effort to get out of that comfort zone to connect with people who are not like me. It takes an effort to do that and and to cross the room, so to speak, and engage with people that maybe I don't know at all or I don't know very well. I think this problem of crossing over, not wanting to cross over, started when I was in junior high school. When I was in the eighth grade, our junior high school did something that I look back at now and think was really ridiculous. They had this dance at our school. And it was in a room about four times the size of this room. And I went to the dance, which, by the way, proves I was not a Baptist when I was a kid. And I go to this dance, and I'm sitting, standing on one side of the cafeteria, and all these guys are lined up over here, and all these girls are over on the other side of the cafeteria. And to ask a girl to dance, what did you have to do? You had to cross over this vacuous space. And everybody knew what you were going to ask. Worse yet, everybody knew the answer. And there was more than once I walked back across empty-handed with my head down because the girl said no. And ever since, I've had a problem struggling with the crossover. We all fear the crossover. If we look at the next slide, here's the definition of a crossover. Leaving our comfort zone to make a relational connection. This is what we most refuse to do, and yet it's what is most needed for us as Christians. To leave our comfort zone to make a relational connection. To leave our preferred environment, maybe our home, maybe this church building, to reach out to someone we don't know or we don't know very well, to cross a cultural divide, to maybe reach somebody who has a different value than you do, maybe from a different people group or maybe from a different tribe or maybe they have a different sexual orientation or maybe they're from a different generation or maybe they're from just another culture and we don't cross over to connect with them. Let me ask you this question before we move into our text. Have you ever been uncomfortable trying to talk to somebody about Jesus. Have you ever been uncomfortable? 
Let me have you rate the level of comfort that you have with the following three scenarios. So we're going to rate it from 1 to 10. Just do this in your own mind. But 1 would be very uncomfortable. It would be like sticking a wet finger in a light socket, right? It's something you really don't want to do. 10 would be really, really comfortable, like you really enjoy it, like eating a box of chocolates, okay? So how about this one? Introducing yourself to a stranger. How hard is that? 1 to 10. How comfortable is that for you? Well, for me, it's kind of like a 9 or a 10. I'm traveling all the time. It doesn't bother me to introduce myself to a stranger. But then we get to number 2, getting to know someone from a different ethnic group or culture. Well, I do that all the time as well, but it's still only maybe a 7, maybe an 8, Because I'm always a little bit afraid I might say the wrong thing. I might be misunderstood. They might not understand where I'm coming from. But how about this one? Shifting a friendly conversation, oh, about the weather, to a conversation about Jesus. Okay, now I'm kind of sub five. How about you? I'm down around three. Because that's not very comfortable, even for me after 40-some years of ministry. Well, in the Gospels, Jesus regularly crosses over these kind of boundaries to talk to people who are disconnected from God. Think about Zacchaeus. Think about Matthew, the tax collector. Think about the demoniac. Think about the lepers. Jesus crossed over to talk to them, to touch them, to engage with them. One of his most famous stories that Jesus ever told is the story about a crossover. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. How many know that story? And so the story, remember this guy is robbed and beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road, and a religious person, maybe a little bit like you and like me, walks by on the other side of the street and says, no, I'm not going to cross over to help this man. Another religious person does the same thing, and then this Samaritan crosses over the street, even though it's inconvenient, even though it's going to be a little bit messy, he crosses the street to minister to this person who was not like him, who he didn't even know. You see, to love your neighbor, you have to cross over. That's the thing I want you to take away more than anything else this morning. To love your neighbor, you have to cross over. You cannot love someone and stay on your side of the street. You have to take the initiative to cross over. Well, one of the best crossover stories in the Bible is in John chapter 4. So if you turn there, John chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of the greater context, which actually is set up at the end of John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus has done the miracle of turning the water into wine in Cana, and the people are beginning to rally to him, and they want to lift him up as a leader, but Jesus refuses to take that position because it says these words, he knew what was in the heart of man. In John chapter 3, We have the first illustration of Jesus knowing what was in the heart of man. It's the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was religious. He was wealthy. He was well-respected. But Jesus knew his heart, and what did he know? Nicodemus needed to be born again. 
And then John 4, we have a second illustration, this time the total opposite end of the spectrum. We have a woman, not a man, not religious, not well-respected, but Jesus also knew her heart, and she needed the same thing that Nicodemus needed, and that was to be born again. And the primary point is everyone is lost, and yet anyone can be saved, even you and even me. So that brings us to John chapter 4, verse 4. We pick up the detail. It said that he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus initiates a crossover encounter. Jesus, a Jewish man, a religious Jewish man, is now going to engage in a conversation with an irreligious Samaritan woman. This just didn't happen in that culture. He must go. It's urgent. He wants to have a conversation with this woman because he knows that she's going to be a catalyst for the gospel. And so he starts the conversation, and he asks this first question, and her response is kind of interesting. Jesus says to her, give me a drink in verse 7. In verse 9, we see she's a little bit suspicious. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then we have this commentary for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so she's suspicious. Is this another man that wants to use me? Is this another Jew that wants to condemn me? And then Jesus makes it clear he's not there to take something from her. He's there to give her something that she desperately needs. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, who it is, and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water that's in the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Listen, this woman is a a hated Samaritan by the Jews. She's living in sin. We're going to see that in just a, a few moments. Jesus had every reason, every excuse he needed to just play it safe and stay in his comfort zone. He didn't need to do this. But instead, he crosses over all these cultural boundaries so that he could share the gospel with this woman. Now you'll notice this woman is trying to avoid people. I skipped over this earlier, but she comes. This is at the sixth hour, and all you need to know about that is that's not the normal time that people went to the well. So why was she there? She didn't want to interact with anybody else. She didn't want to cross over certain boundaries because she knew the people despised her. They didn't want to cross over those boundaries to talk to her either. But Jesus crossed over all that discomfort so that he could bring her back to her real need. And now he's going to really transition. This is that uncomfortable moment. And Jesus is going to create it by asking her to do something. And it's kind of like this. You may not want to talk about this subject, but we need to have this conversation. Look at verse 16. 
He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, "Um, I don't have a husband. And Jesus responded back, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you know what? You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. I'd say what you've said is true. Now, I'm not sure the tone in which Jesus said it. I don't think he said it in an offensive way because he's trying to build a relationship, but he makes it clear that he knows something about her life. Look, this had to be hugely uncomfortable, right? And a lot of us would have never done what Jesus did because we put such a high value on not offending anybody. But Jesus crosses the line of tactfulness to redeem her life. And can I just suggest to you, that's what love does. That's what love does. There's nothing admirable about leaving somebody in their sin. There's nothing admirable about that. So this woman is exposed. Her failure is revealed. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, no joke. You don't have a husband. Now, just as a side note, Jesus knows your story, and Jesus knows my story every bit as much as he knew her story. And at first, that might seem like really bad news. Like if you knew my story, you'd say, well, it's really bad that Jesus knows every detail of that. And if I knew your story, I might think the same thing. But it's not bad news. It's actually good news because Jesus came to redeem your story regardless of how bad, nasty, ugly, or sinful it might be. That's the great news of the gospel. Jesus came to remove my sin, not so I would have to hide my sin. He came so I could bring my sin out in the open and dump it at the foot of the cross and thereby cross over from death unto life, spiritual and physical both. Well, back to the story when things got uncomfortable because Jesus was talking about her personal relationship with God, she tries to change the subject to talk about religion. I don't know if this happens here in Indonesia, but certainly in the United States, if somebody gets uncomfortable because you start talking about their relationship with God, they'd rather change the subject and talk about religion. Like, why are there so many different denominations? Or how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? You know, it's kind of ridiculous and that's what she does verse 19 she says the woman said to him sir i perceive that you're a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship i believe her question is a smokescreen she doesn't want to talk about her broken relationships on earth and her broken relationship with god she doesn't want to deal with her sin and shame She preferred to talk about religion, but notice Jesus doesn't let her get away with that. Look at the very next statement, verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Essentially what he's saying to her, think about how bold this is. He's saying to her, you are ignorant about worship. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. This is pretty exclusivistic teaching. 
He's not being very tolerant of any other religion. He's saying there's only one way, and this is it. And then he goes on to say, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So he's trying to draw her out of religion into a truth-based, spirit-filled relationship with God. Can I just tell you, again, I don't know how you deal with this in this culture, but in the United States, we would call this very not politically correct, right? It's very non-PC for Jesus to do this. He's saying, look, there's only one way, and you're wrong. And in actuality, what he's saying is the answer is not mere tolerance. In the United States, like the highest value of all is to tolerate people. I think that's a sellout because the answer is to love people, not just tolerate them. I have a good friend from high school that I hung out with all the time. His name is Dave. And uh, Dave and I, we would go on double dates sometimes with a couple of girls. Um, we were good friends. I'd hang out at his house. He'd hang out at my house. And then we went to college. I went off to Michigan State University. Dave went to Northern Michigan University, and we kind of lost track of each other. His senior year, he came out as gay and has been living in gay relationships with other men ever since that time. I didn't know that until we saw each other at our 15th high school reunion. And Dave was there with his partner. So I told my wife, here I am, a Baptist pastor. Here's Dave, my best friend from high school, living in a gay relationship with another man. I told my wife, her name is Donna. I said, we're going to sit with Dave and his partner at the dinner. And so we did. We had a good time. We reconnected. No problem. Well, we go back to our lives. Dave lives in Denver, Colorado. I'm living out in Indiana. And then this thing called the Internet comes out and Facebook. So that gives you an idea how old I am, right? And uh, Facebook comes out. We reconnect on Facebook and we start having conversations. And it's not long before Dave starts to push me about my biblical beliefs about homosexuality and about same-sex marriage and those kind of things. And obviously, we didn't see it the same way. Now, I could have just tried to go along, to play along, to make sure I didn't offend Dave, or I could do it the very best I could, Dave knowing that I love him, to say, Dave, I understand you're not going to be happy with this, but this is what I believe the Bible teaches. Well, he didn't like that. And then one time, I remember, he literally slammed his fist down on the table. This was the time we were meeting in person. And he said, why can't you just tolerate me? I said, Dave, I'm never going to settle for tolerating you. I love you too much to settle for tolerating. You see, tolerance is a cheap substitute for love. I want to say that again. I don't know how much this is settled into the young culture here in Indonesia. In American culture, I teach at a university, and it's soaked into our culture that tolerance is the highest level, the highest thing that you can give or show or demonstrate to another person. It's a flat-out lie of Satan himself because we're called to love. Tolerance is a cheap substitute for love. Some people have a hard time understanding this. Well, my wife and I got engaged on Valentine's Day 41 years ago. So we've been married now 
41 years. But on Valentine's Day, I want you to imagine that I sent my wife the following card. My dearest wife, I tolerate you more than you could ever know. I have tolerated you from the first moment I saw you. In fact, honey, no one tolerates you more than I do. I promise you, if I sent her that card, she would not have tolerated it. All right? You see, Jesus is not tolerating this woman. What a bogus thing to do. He's not just tolerating this woman. He's entering her story so he can reconnect her to God. He loves her enough to do that. And the only way this can happen, she has to get real with God. No charades, no mask, no excuses, no blame shifting. She has to own her stuff in spirit and in truth. Honestly and wholeheartedly, it has to be genuine. That's the key issue. The only way she can cross over to a new life is to make it personal, right? That's the gospel. She has to come clean for God. And by the uh, come clean with God. And by the way, the same thing is true for you and for me. We have to come clean with God. And so I, I want to ask that question. Have you come clean with God? Well, she's not ready to cross over that line. She has one last objection. She wants to do what maybe you did and I did when we were at the university. She wants to postpone or procrastinate her decision. So look at verse 25. She says, well, you know, the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. I'll just wait till that happens. And Jesus blows her mind because he says, well, I'm right here. <laughs> I don't know if you'll get this reference, but you know, I call it that Batman moment because there's a scene in a Batman movie where the criminal's like, where'd he go, where'd he go? And Batman's hanging above him, and he says, I'm right here. <laughs> you know, Blows his mind. I think Jesus blew her mind. She's shocked, but she's not the only one. We have this little parenthetical kind of opportunity that happens here. The disciples come back. They marvel or they're surprised that he's talking with a woman. And no one dares ask him, you know, what do you seek or why, you're, why are you talking with her? They're, they're just shocked by it. And it begs the question, why would his closest friends in his inner circle be surprised that he's talking to somebody far from God? That's what he did all the time. They were his closest followers. They should have known his heart for people like her. And I think they had the same struggle we have, and that is they lost focus of the mission. Personally and corporately. It's easy to do. Churches and Christians often develop an inward focus toward our preferences, toward our hopes and dreams. It becomes all about us. It becomes about how many people gather here instead of how many people are unreached out there. I pastored for 21 years at a church in Indiana, and I, I have to tell you, it was a great church. I enjoyed every minute of pastoring that church. Well, maybe not quite every minute, but most of the minutes of pastoring that church. But the greatest struggle I had was to keep the arrows focused outward, to keep us focused on the people out there rather than just on us. Churches are supposed to march toward the gates of hell, not away from the gates of hell. 
And so my primary focus is to help churches do that, to move outward toward the mission of God. To plant new churches, focus on reaching the lost, to reach various ethnic groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll continue to do that for the glory of God. Well, the disciples are shocked at the boundaries Jesus was crossing here. I think they would have been more shocked if they knew the boundaries the woman was crossing at this very moment. Look at verse 28. The woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so she goes to the very people she's trying to avoid, and she has a conversation with them and suggests to them that she's met the Messiah. She makes an open and public confession. She crosses over. She moves out of her comfort zone to make a relational connection. That was very uncomfortable. She puts herself in a vulnerable position. And she takes a risk. And the result, I want you to see this, verse 39 to 41. The result is reproduction and multiplication. The gospel did not stop with her. And here's the question. Has the gospel stopped with you? Is there one person running around planet Earth that's a Christian today because their life intersected with your life? Look at verse 39 of John chapter 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they go on to say, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Because this woman crossed over and just asked a simple question, could this be the Messiah? A multitude of people, a bunch of Samaritans crossed over and put their faith in a Jew a Jewish rabbi. And they recognized something the disciples to this point had missed. He wasn't just the Savior of the Jews. He was the Savior of the world. And now here's where we need to stop and reflect on your willingness and my willingness to cross over, to do what Jesus did. Individually, Are you willing to cross over? You can see some possibilities on the screen. Maybe it's to meet someone new just right here in church. That would be a start. Maybe it's going across the street or across the hallway in your apartment complex and meeting your neighbor. Maybe it's crossing over to meet somebody from a different ethnicity or a different generation. And I'm not asking you here to consider engaging in a program not asking you to do even something different. I'm just asking you to be more intentional with what you already do. Most of us eat three meals a day, right? In a month, that's 90 meals in a month. Can you take one meal a month and sit down and eat it with somebody who doesn't know Jesus? We all have 30 nights a month that we're at home. Can you take one of those nights a month and invite an unbeliever into your home and show them the gift of hospitality? You see, one of the reasons it's so awkward to invite people to church is we've never even invited them into our home. And that's something that we need to do. I'd like you to think of one person, just one, who needs you to cross over and connect with them so they can know the story 
of what God did to save them. What could you do to open a relational door? What could you do to break the ice? What could you say? I've been praying for my neighbor Chuck who lives across the street and, um, you know, just looking for opportunities every chance I get out working in the yard and so forth, inviting them over to our house, going over to their house when invited to build a relationship with him. And then as a church, are you ready to cross over? It's exciting to see. It's a dynamic situation where you have people from various ethnicities and backgrounds. Um, You have a unique opportunity to cross over and reach people who don't believe what you believe, but desperately need to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How can you use your resources to reach those people? See, this is a key question. I'll kind of wrap up here. In Luke chapter 15, many of you will know this chapter once I start to talk about it. If you look at the screen in verses 1 to 2, the Pharisees are the target audience. They come to the disciples and they're like, we don't understand this Jesus guy because he claims to be holy, he claims to be a prophet, but he's hanging out with sinners all the time. In response to that question, Jesus tells three stories. You'll remember these, right? The story of the lost coin, the story of a lost sheep, and the story of a lost son. All very similar stories with one significant difference. In the first two stories, when the thing is lost, the coin and the sheep, there's an all-out search until they find it. But when the son is lost, and this is the point of Jesus telling all three stories, when the son is lost, nobody lifts a finger to save the prodigal son. Why? Well, we know it's not because of the heart of the father, right? Because the father, later in the story, can't wait to run out and meet his son and welcome him home. The key to the story is in verse 12. It says that when the prodigal came, the younger son came, said, I want my inheritance. It says the father divided his inheritance among them. Who's the them? The younger brother who got one-third and the older brother who got two-thirds in that culture. And what Jesus is saying, this is the point of the whole chapter, Jesus is saying, look, you're the older brother. The father gave all of his resources to you, and when the younger brother was lost, you didn't do a thing to save him, to rescue him, to bring him back to me. And so when we look at 2022, All around the world, who is the older brother? I would suggest it's the church of Jesus Christ. We've been given the resources of the Father to reach the prodigal. And I want to encourage you not to lose your heart for the prodigal because that's the surest and quickest way to lose the blessing of God on you personally and on this church. So maybe today you'll plant a stake in the ground and determined to connect your life individually with the mission of God. You say, you know what? I'm not going to just live for myself. For the three gals up here that are, are going to Montana State and Stony Brook and to Harvard, listen, can I tell you something that's going to happen when you get to those universities? There are going to be plenty of people there who are going to try to get you to cross over and deny your faith in God. That's going to happen. 
What's needed is for you to go with your faith so integrated into your life that you become a witness to them. You don't succumb to their culture. You draw them into the culture of Christ, which is a culture rooted in unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness. And by the way, doing this is the only thing that will bring the satisfaction and fulfillment that you're looking for. We go back to the text, verses 31 to 34. They asked Jesus if he wants to eat, and he said, look, I have food that satisfies me that you don't understand. And he's not talking about physical food. He's talking about doing the will of God. Can I just say this? Most people I meet are starving to do something that matters with their life. I don't think you'd be here if you weren't looking to do something that matters with your life, to do something worthwhile. Well, the most unsatisfied Christians I know are the ones who refuse to cross over. They're so focused, sitting in their comfort zone, waiting for God to bless them instead of crossing over to be a blessing to other people. The most satisfied Christians and fulfilled Christians I know are contributors, not consumers. And so I'll leave you with this challenge. You can cross over. Every single one of you, including me, we can cross over. We can leave our comfort zone to make a relational connection, to bring somebody into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus closed, and I will close with this statement in verse 35. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Do not put this off. I tell you, lift up your eye and see that the fields are white to harvest right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you crossed over. Lord, when you saw us lost in our sin, dead in our sins, suffering from the shame and guilt of our sin, you didn't just leave us there. You didn't just tolerate us. Lord, you loved us enough to cross over from heaven to earth to become one of us so that you could reach us with your love, with your grace, with the gospel. Lord, help us to do what you did. Help us not to stay safe in our comfortable environments. Help us to cross over, to integrate the mission of God into our everyday life, regardless of our career path, regardless of our generation that we live in. Lord, help us to cross over to integrate the mission of God into our life each and every day. Help us to reach that one. Lord, may the gospel not stop with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.